Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 142. Week 142, volume 142, number fucking 142. Hey, going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Doc, formerly of God Forbid, currently in Bad Wolves, and that will be coming up later in the show. So as we do every week, let's kick off with a bit of feedback, a bit of questions, a bit of what's been going on. Not a lot. A lot of feedback, a lot of support for coming back with last week's show after taking some time off. So big shout out to everyone that got in touch. Big shout out to everyone that listened to the show. And just a big shout out and thank you to every one of you. Thank you guys. I love you all and I have a lot of love and respect for this community. The only other thing I want to mention is need some help, guys, with getting this show out to more listeners. Help me out. Give the show a share on your social medias. Give it a rating and review on iTunes. Give it a rating and review on Facebook. All of these things, while they don't sound like they take much effort, they mean a lot to the show growing. So if you have some time, help us out with a share, a rating and review. So enough of the ramblings, enough of my jibber-jabber. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Doc, formerly of God Forbid, currently of Bad Wolves. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So for those unaware or uneducated, God Forbid formed around 96 They ended finishing up around 2013, six albums and two EPs. God forbid are one of those underrated and underappreciated bands that were vital in the wave of American metalcore in the 2000s. The sound is kind of a melodic death metal meets the core sound that you know. Absolutely outstanding band. I'm fucking obsessed with them. I love their discography. Bad Wolves. They formed around 2017, 2018, currently have two albums to their name. So as you could kind of gather already there, I'm a big God Forbid fan. Previously had the vocalist Byron on the show, so to get Doc on the show was great for me as a fan, but also great for the show. Doc does a lot for the industry, not only the music one, but also the podcast one. He has his own show, so it was a big moment for me, a big bucket list moment for me. So. I am ecstatic to have him on the show. I'm ecstatic about this show. I hope you enjoy it too. That chat with Doc is coming up now. So everyone, I start off with the same question and it's, you know, not a heavy band, but, you know, for me as a kid, I discovered Aerosmith around the age of five and I became obsessed and I don't know why, but for you at a young age, was was there an artist you heard that you became fascinated with that helped open music into existence for you? I mean, it has to be Michael Jackson for me, you know, probably around that same time. I just remember, you know, when we had the records, the real records, <laughs> and just, you know, playing Bad and Thriller, you know, just over and over and over again. And I remember we would, you know, on the LPs, they would have this, you could speed it up. Mm-hmm. 
So I would actually listen to him fast and think I thought that was the funniest thing in the world because it sounded like the chipmunks. Uh, <laughs> I bet, I bet, you know it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so that, you know, that was probably the first thing I connected to, you know, but then I, you know, my brother, myself, we grew up in, you know, an urban environment, you know, in the, you know, mid late eighties. And that's when like hip hop was happening. So a lot, so that was kind of like the stuff that was around us. And it was, you know, you know, Fresh Prince and like Young MC, like very kind of PG rated stuff. We weren't listening to like NWA or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I remember, you know, really kind of enjoying that stuff. Like that was the first tape I ever bought was was Fresh Prince, um, DJ Jeff Summertime. Hey. And then, you know, and then, you know, for some reason it happens when you're, you know, your body starts to change. You start to get all these hormones around that 12, 13 year age. I think that's when we really kind of discover who we are you know, you know, what we gravitate towards, you know, that will kind of shape the rest of our life. And, you know, for me, it was a few different moments. It was hearing Bohemian's Rhapsody in Wayne's World. That was a big one. And then I was at a friend's house. You know, I lived in a predominantly black neighborhood, but there were these two white girls that lived in the neighborhood I was friends with. Hadn't seen them in a while. Went to a house, and, and in between the times I'd seen them, they had become total metalheads. So, like, we go in their house, and they're, and they're, like, total, like, teeny boppers. So they're just, like, they have, like, Sebastian Bach on the wall and, <laughs> and Axl Rose. And I'm, like, and I had I didn't know who any of these people were. And they were watching MTV, and I saw the video for Symphony of Destruction. Mm. And that just, it was, like, light bulb. Like, I don't know what the hell that is, but I just need to, like, inject that into my life. And I went home, and I told my brother. And we had MTV, but we just weren't watching it. And I was like, we need to watch this thing called MTV. And the and the thing, the funny thing is, I got into everything that was on MTV, like the pop music that was on there, the the stuff they played from the '80s, you know, Duran Duran and Def Leppard. I got into the hip hop they were playing. So I actually absorbed kind of the the entirety that is kind of the early '90s uh, popular music culture. But the rock, and you know, when I saw that video for November Rain, that really probably maybe want to play guitar discovering metallica for some reason the rock and metal was the stuff that spoke to me and then when i and that's what inspired me to play guitar and then once you get a guitar that's you you know we kind of just go down the rabbit hole and then you're watching headbangers ball and then it's slayer and pantera and sepultura and then we're listening to the local radio station and we're discovering morbid angel and carcass and and all that stuff and then we got into the hardcore scene you know in, in like 96 and Started discovering all those bands, Candiria and Dillinger Escape Plan, and and you know, and then you know we were totally on the the Swedish thing, all you know everything from you know, Soil Work and Meshuga and Children of Bodom, and and so it was kind of just a rabbit hole, you know. What was it like in the neighborhood though? You know, you're saying that predominantly a black neighborhood, everyone's listening to hip hop, and then suddenly all your mates are turning to you and you're listening to Megadeth and Guns N' Roses and things. Are you kind of getting shunned a little bit and left as a bit of an outsider or are you just kind of accepted for your musical taste? You know, I, it wasn't like a really outward thing. It was very internal. You know, it's like, you know, you. I remember, you know, riding the school bus and you just put your earbuds in. You're not, they weren't earbuds then. They were just little head, <laughs> you know, your little headphones, your little disc man or something. I, might, I can't remember how to walk in or I was probably listening to the tapes. But... You know, I just knew other people weren't into it, but ironically, <clears throat> my brother and I, who was also in God Forbid, mm-hmm. our best friends, this guy John, who's 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 a black kid, and he liked metal too. 
So we would just, the three of us would literally just sit at home. We would draw comic books and just listen to Metallica, listen to Megadeth. Um, <clears throat> and just, we kind of were in our own world. And then when I was 16, my brother and I got accepted to a private school that was predominantly a white school and more wealthy. But ironically, we went, and I thought I'd go there and have more things in common, but it wasn't true. They were listening to hip hop too. Mm. And they were, you know, they were listening to Dave Matthews Band. And, you know, and, you know, every now and again, there'd be a kid, you know, I would connect with that, you know, was, you know, I remember that's when like Tool Enema came out. And I knew a couple people listened to that. And I, you know, knew one friend that was listening to like Deftones or Corn. You know, so it was like a few, and then there were, a few people at the school who were like into like skater punk type stuff, you know, which to me was always related to like hardcore and stuff. Mm. Kind of, it was like, you know, we were related in that. So there was that a little more of a cultural connection, but I felt just as much kind of, uh, you know, out of step with what was normal when I was in a predominantly black and Hispanic school that was poor. And then even when I was in a predominantly white school that was mostly wealthy. So it was, you know, just how, kind of, I always felt like an outsider really until I discovered the hardcore scene in New Jersey and just, you know, feet, you know, that, and I felt like discovering that you kind of get to a place where a bunch of people who probably felt like misfits, mm. you know, or, you know, or kind of outsiders, you know, kind of come together to, to kind of create a community. And uh, I'm, I'm, ballpark same age i think you're two years older than me so i do remember the the agony of the tape you know creating that mixtape because you suddenly got all those songs i loved it i loved it i I would make some serious mixtapes what about the discman though they had i remember i got really excited for christmas i got the anti-skip one and apparently it was anti-skip but no no it wasn't anti-skip it's still skip just said that it just said that it's horrible i always said it was a funny thing uh i got uh what we used to do back in the day is like you, every now and again you'd hear they're like they're gonna play this a record before it comes out in its mm-hmm. entirety. So what you do is you tape it. So that's what we did. So we, me and my brother, did that with uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Great Southern Tranquil, Pantera, mm-hmm. and we listened to the tape. It was only like two weeks between when they played it and when the album came out, but we played it so much that it actually like slowed down. So it was like tuned lower. So when we got the CD, it sounded weird to us because we were listening to this down-tuned weird version of, of, of the album. But yeah, you would you would do things like that, man. I would, dude, I would record MTV. I'd have the six hour tape mm-hmm. and I would record it at night because they would play videos that they wouldn't play. And I would just watch it and just, oh, man, just so I could check that video that they wouldn't play during the daytime. So I do all kinds of weird stuff. I also used to do the thing of, you know, this was back in the time where you have that money to be able to buy a new album meant no matter what, no matter how long it takes, I am going to be obsessed with this album. I'm going to like this album. And I'd put it on the first time and be like, no, nah, I don't like this. Two months later, it's like my favorite album of the current time. That's over, man. Mm. It's, I mean, dude, I can, th- there's so many albums I can think of. You know, I remember the first time I got, I, there was a local comic book shop, and, you know, back in the day, you would go to a store and talk to people. So the guy at the store is like, <laughs> we were telling him we were, in, you know, we like Megadeth and Metallica and Pantera, and he's like, you got to check out this band Machine Head. Mm. So we went and bought Burma Eyes, and we got it. We took it home, and it was like, it was like too heavy for us. We were like, <laughs> we weren't ready. So it just kind of sat there. But then when we kind of like evolved our taste, we went back to it and it was like, yeah, this album's amazing, you know. But I remember, dude, I remember so many records I can think about that where you get it and you're, it just, it, it takes a while for it to grow on you, mm. you know. Or like, or just 
falling in love with the deeper cuts on a record uh, because you just you just lived with it. And I mean, we used to get CDs for Christmas. Mm. You know, it's like I remember, you know, or you we do. I don't know if they had them there. They had this thing called Columbia House here where you would. It was a scam. Is that the mail-in would, thing? What? Is that like mail-in order where you buy off yeah. the back of a magazine? Yeah, we had that. Yeah. So, you know, and you would like end up owing money and, mm. you know, you're, you do a thing and you get a bunch of CDs and you'd have, then they sign you up and you have to pay for one. You have to cancel. It was a whole thing. It was, you know, but, you know, any way you could get it. And back then, you know, CDs were really expensive. You know, it'd be $16.99, $19.99 for a CD. So, you know, once we could, get, you know, my brother was driving, it's like we go to the record store, you just scan the used section and try and get a record for five bucks or six, six bucks. And, you know, that's what I always think it's funny about now. Like where like artists will like shame people. Like you need to buy the records. Like even back then, I wasn't like trying to pay for music, <laughs> you know, it, we, that was just the only option. <laughs> I, you know, I remember also the pain of pre-ordering, you know, some where, especially being in Australia, we didn't have access to a lot of record stores that held, heavy music so you go to the mainstream album store and say really want this new album and they're like well that's going to be about an eight week wait so you're like wow all right here's my deposit of 10 bucks i'll wait eight (laughs) weeks um and then it would turn up eight weeks later and by the time that's happened you're wanting another four albums but you know that was the the pain of living on the other side of the world um i was lucky i was like we lived in new jersey we had we had two stores one was vintage vinyl which is the basically the biggest record store like in the new york new jersey area so all the bands would come there and do signings it was always like all the imports were there so it was you know i was very lucky to be, live where we live because we got, we had very instant access to kind of everything that was available now you mentioned about you know picking up the guitar around 16 i think you were saying so you know 12 12 wow, yeah. man so when you first initially pick up the guitar a lot of people have goals or inspirations that they aspire to so who were you looking to that was currently playing and you're like if i can get anywhere near their ability then i feel like i'm doing something well i mean i i always say slash is the reason why i picked up a guitar you know and just because there's something about the melody mm-hmm. and how it 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 seemed to be when slash would play it seemed to be like the apex of the song it seemed to be really important. Like that was like the part where your hair would stand up. So I was just kind of fascinated with like, like why does that do that? You know? And then quickly I started to get into heavier stuff. And, you know, like I, I still remember the first song I ever wrote and it's literally just like a Metallica Megadeth wannabe song, you know, kind of mid tempo thrash song or whatever. And, you know, and just kind of, I don't know, man, I, I, I don't think it's that, direct or that specific i think it's just like it's like a rubik's cube right you're just trying to figure it out like what it what you know what how are they you know it it seems especially when you're first starting out and you don't you can barely do anything it like these people seem like magicians Mm -hmm. you know when you hear when you first hear van halen when you first hear dimebag you're just like how is that even a thing a person can do you know, and then you start getting into gear, right? And like, oh, it's because it's this amp or it's this pedal or, you know, and you start kind of going, you know, it just becomes an obsession, you know? So I, I just remember the first couple years 
just be, you know, like it, it was just a, even actually I'll say that the first five or six years playing guitar, I feel like it's just a struggle. Like you're just, it literally hurts to play. You know, your hands are sore and you're, you're, they're callousing over and you, you try and like bend a string. You're like, Oh my God, why am I doing this? So it's just, it takes a few years to me just to get comfortable, comfortable at all with, with, with the instrument. So you know, and then with me, my brother and I, you know, we both started playing. So we had this competition thing where he would learn this. So it's like, well, I got to learn this. And so that I think we were uh, subliminally inspiring each other and pushing each other to to get better, you know. And so we and like so we didn't leave our house for a couple years before we ever played in front of anyone. And when we finally did. We, we had kind of progressed in a way that was way quicker than I think some people might because we were just so like in our box, in our in our hole. We just did it's all we you know, it's all we did, you know, and it kept us out of trouble. Like since we lived in a pretty uh, urban area where there's a lot of trouble outside drug dealers and, you know, trouble if you wanted to get into it. And, you know, and that's that kept us just focused on, like I said, just drawing comic books and. And, and playing music, and that's what we were we were into, you know, just nerds. What about the uh, local scene? I mean, what age were you when you started getting out to gigs? And then a second part of that question is, were you seeing um, something you, you could aspire to grow into? Were there bands that were local that you were seeing that were breaking out of the local area and making it out into, you know, kind of a local circuit of other states? So the first show we went to was Pantera, White Zombie, Deftones, 96. And it was at an arena and it was kind of like, we were almost scared to go. Because I think, honestly, no joke, like Pantera felt, from our perspective, like we're going to go there and there's going to be like neo-Nazis there. That's mm. what we literally thought. Mm. Like that was the energy we picked up, even though we love we loved the band. But we're like, oh, maybe they're not going to want like black people to be there or something. Like that's kind of how we thought. So I was a little scared. And, but we you know we had like nosebleed, terrible seats, and but it was cool. But really, and then didn't go to the show for a little bit, and then we went to, we basically all in one night. With there was one night that basically it was before we were called God forbid, we were called Insalubrious. They had some dumb name, and we used to rehearse at this studio, this rehearsal studio in in, in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and we just there was a band rehearsing, and back then you would just like. You'd hear a band rehearsing, and you just go in and just like hang out and like so start and you'd make friends. Hey, what's up, man? It was I don't know, man. I don't know people still do that, but or whatever. You'd say, hey, man, might we check you out? But there was this band called Clubber Lang. It kind of sounded like Hatebreed, and we're like, damn, this shit is sick as hell, super heavy. And then they're like, well, if you think we're good, you should go. This other band, For the Love of, is rehearsing here, and we went in their room, and it literally. Just watching that band rehearse changed our all our entire lives because it was the best band we had ever seen in person. That was like a heavy, like a metal. They were like a metalcore band, but they were a brilliant, brilliant band that was doing something for us was completely unique. We had just never because we didn't know about the hardcore scene. We didn't know about any of those bands, so it was like patient zero. And then they they said told us they were playing a show. So we he gave us a flyer and we went to the show and it was like Candiria headlined. They played right before them. And then a bunch of other bands that ultimately I, you know, we became friends with and, you know, became influential on me. And it was just like, it was like just, you know, it's like Neo in the Matrix. You know, you wake up and it's like 
this is the real world. And when we and we discovered this whole new scene because like I said the stuff we were into was Machine Head and Pantera and Carcass and Sugar, all this is just metal. And then it was just a whole other thing. And then before that, you know, we were like selling tickets to play shows and like kind of we didn't know how a band got shows or got fans or any of that stuff. And then we noticed, we're like, wow, this this hardcore scene. Then we went to one show, and then we went to another show, started meeting more people. We're like, no one's selling tickets. It's like it's like DIY. Like they're playing at like an Elks Lodge, or they're playing at some basement or something. And that was really appealing to us. That it wasn't as much about uh, money or like it wasn't about gatekeepers. And it was a real community, and it was also just a real diversity of music. You know, like there was, you know, straight ahead, uh, vegan, you know, straight edge hardcore bands. And then there were grindcore bands and there were emo bands and there was screamo and noisy. I don't even know what. And there would be, you know, so there was all this diversity of, of music and just really experimental stuff. I mean, you, when, you, when you see a band like Dillinger, you're like, mm. I've never seen anything like this. When you see a band like, you know, Coalesce, you're like, what is this or Converge or Cave-In, uh, Candiria was like the craziest thing, you know, mixing jazz. And so, I mean, we just, from the, you know, the stuff we were into, we just never heard of that stuff. A band like Overcast was just, what, what is this? You know, so that was exciting, you know, and it was cool because in New Brunswick, it was like all these different bands, you know, every, all the bands would sound different, but everyone hung out. You know, it wasn't necessarily about what you sounded like. It was about we're all like making music and we're having a community and we're into that. But the, what it sounds like, it's kind of, so you could be a bill and it could be five, six bands and everyone's different. But that's not really what was important about it. You well, know? It's, it's a sense of community that I think for, you know, us old bastards, which, you know, we're, we're basically, you know, on the edge of 40. So. Yeah. I am forty. Oh, you are. Well, I'm I'm thirty eight next right. year, so February. Um, everyone listening now knows my age. Damn it. Um, you know, it was a, that was part of the appeal for me as well. Going to shows was a sense of community, and it's something that you know, without jumping too far ahead, do you think we're kind of losing that element? Because there's always been an element of my music is better than your music, and the elitist, as some people like to call it. But I think now it's got very negative as in we don't see a lot of this mismatch of everything and kind of if you like that that's cool i don't have to like it but you know it's what i'm basically saying is it does it feel like the metal scene has forgotten this sense of togetherness no i don't i, I don't think so I, I think it's less diverse i think it's more like segregated like you would see bills back in the day that i just don't think you would see anymore mm -hmm. um but I mean, the hardcore scene, from what it looks like, and I'm not as involved like I once was. But you look at bands like, you know, Code Orange and you know, Knocked Loose, and you know, uh, Vane. I mean, that, that you know, the hardcore scene I think is as strong as it's ever been. So I think that community is is doing great. And you know, like I said, I've been lucky enough to do, you know, tons of festivals and all stuff. I mean, and that stuff before the pandemic, I mean, it was the biggest it's ever been. And in America, we're having these massive festivals and you go to something like Grass Pop, for example, in, in Belgium. And it's, 
you know, one stage it's like it's refused, and then the next stage it's ministry, and then on the next stage it's hailstorm, and then it's like Gorgoroth, you know, and then it's Agnostic Front, you know, and and Taking Back Sunday, and then Trivium, you know. So, you know, I think collectively, I mean, I think there's plenty of uh, big tent pole collective good community. I just think right now, like, you know, our scene more than anything, when I say our, I just mean heavy music or independent music, however you kind of want to put it, uh, is being really hurt because the reason, you know, there's a lot of bands. The only reason they put out records is so they can tour, Mm. you know, uh, for a lot of people, especially in the hardcore scene, the music is secondary to the community aspect of it you know it's it is about getting together and meeting together i mean even just you know i, I just did another podcast with a with a, my friend uh, kim kelly who i know from back in the day you know just talking about like just going to a metal bar mm. and mm-hmm. hanging out all these things that are really important to the culture of, of of what we do is you know it's like when rain and blood comes on and we're all headbanging and, and doing shots like that's that's important to me you know, and we can't really do that in the same way. And so until that really gets back to some sense of normalcy, I think we're all going to be kind of suffering, you know, kind of in, in our in our way. And I and it's it's like and for a lot of people, you know, it's like a Chris the singer from Motionless and White did, you know, like a Twitter post just talking about how not being able to perform has really hurt his mental health mm-hmm. and not having that being able to connect, not be having that release, you know, even me, I mean, I could, you know, when I first moved out to LA and stuff, you know, and I didn't, I didn't have like a band full time. I would do these like jam nights. Right. And just do it, just going up and playing one song. Right. Or a couple songs. I'd like have a hot, you know, that would like get put me in a good mood for a week, you know, just like getting out there and, and, and doing your thing. So yeah, I think there's, that's something we're all dealing with, but I think that's removed from what, Norm, normally what's 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 been going on but yeah but i don't i don't think it's quite as diverse as it used to be in terms of the types of bills you would you would see back in the day which i do think is a net negative for me i don't like to go to a, a show and see five death metal bands that are roughly similar you know or you know i like to see i like it when there's variance but sometimes that's better for ticket sales you know when it's more condensed stylistically i think it's interesting <clears throat> pardon me, as you were saying about the mental health and the impact it's having on people because you think back a couple of years ago, some of these bands like yourself um, who are on the road all the time grinding out struggle with the mental health of being on the road all the time. So they want that time off and then it's quite strange now that that thing that a lot of bands hate to do, they now yearn to do. It's quite a weird flip of the coin, really. But it was always like that. You'd always... Every time you were home too long, you couldn't get, wait to get back on the road. And anytime you're on the road too long, you couldn't wait to get back home. Like me, I think a perfect touring uh, schedule is like, you know, month on, month off at least. Like for every month you're out, you should have at least a month at home, hmm. you know. And anything past a month is when it starts to get grating, hmm. I think. Even even like three weeks even, you start to be like, okay. Is this done? And then he's like, how, how long do we have? Uh, four more <laughs> weeks. Oh, great. You know, so, you know, but I, but I think that's with anything. I think it's uh, performing is physically taxing. I think doing, you know, it's fairly repetitive. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that's kind of like 
got that Groundhog Day vibe where it's just like same kind of thing, but just in a different place, you know, and that's, you know, and that's why you see, you know, touring, you know, you get people drinking a lot, people doing drugs, people sleeping around, whatever to kind of keep them, you know, attached to anything. So now let's go back to the early couple of releases for God forbid. Um, you know, you had out of misery EP and then you had reject the sickness and then you came into what I think was probably for me. I think it's one of my favorite of the God forbid releases, which was determination. Were those early years really just about getting on the grind and just enjoying it? Because you know, it seems like the band worked really hard, and then it wasn't a sudden push to Century Media and Determination. I know, but that felt like a big launching pad, kind of in the only space of maybe three years. Yeah, honestly, we were just trying to get good. I mean, I don't really think Out of Misery is that good. Uh, it sounds to me like a, a demo mm-hmm. of a band learning how to play. Um, I think the first really good thing we did was Reject the Sickness. Mm-hmm. And and the thing I can really say with hindsight is I do think every God Forbid release holds up mm-hmm. well with time. Um, and, 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 I, and I do think also, you know, we were really lucky too to have some really good productions. So the stuff sounds still, still sounds good. And it captured a a moment in time, you know, uh, reject the sickness was really representative of us being influenced by the scene we were in. So you hear that it's, you know, probably the most metal core thing we've ever done. Uh, very much about like crazy part, mosh part, um, and it's pure intensity. Basically it's, you know, the record's 30 minutes long. Um, and, and it's the thing I love about it, about, especially in those, those periods, it's like, it's 100% authentic. It's 100% who you were at that moment. And there was not a lot of contrivance, I would say with that and determination. And, you know, and I, so we have a, you know, vinyl of determination coming out next year and so we've been helping the record label out with doing some liner notes and getting things together. So I really been so I've actually been thinking about that period of time, you know. And what happened was, we were offered Central Media actually wanted to buy Reject the Sickness and put it out from the label that it was on. They couldn't work out a deal, so they said, you know what, we'll just sign you for the record after that. So basically, we finished Reject the Sickness. And immediately had to go and start writing a new record. So we were kind of tapped uh, creatively, but we just, and we were all working like a shitty landscaping job during the day. And then would have to go and, and write music, you know, at night and kind of pull it out of somewhere. So it, it was very much like, I don't know, it was like this thing of like, where can we go? Where are we going? And it was kind of a rejection of the scene we were in. Like, it's less about having a mosh part. It's less about making it meathead. And it was, it was like, honestly, we were looking at all the, the European bands. We were looking at, uh, the haunted was, it was a big influence. We were looking at, you know, bands, you know, like soil work bands, like Trojan of Bodom and, and kind of in flames, like saying, okay, there's a different level of professionalism. There's a different level of songwriting and that's the standard because now we're on Century Media. Mm. We're about to be on a same late record label as 
Iced Earth and Nevermore. So it has to be that level of of musicianship and 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 you know and I don't I don't know if we achieved that per se, but it was just like you know that you know like I said in, in many ways I think it's still the band's most artistic album. You know we were really expressing ourselves of what was what 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 was in the moment. Um, and in hindsight, like we were really firing on all cylinders in terms of just like, cause it's the way it was back then. It's like, you just got in a room and you wrote music and there wasn't no like, Hey, we're going to go on pro tools and put some fake drums and like do demos. It was, there was none of that shit. The, well, we did a demo with Zeus, uh, just a three or four song demo just to see if we wanted to work with them. So that was the only demo, but like, so we went in there, we basically, can't remember if we did it live or we we did it very quickly, you know. Um, and so it's a real reflection of that period of time. It was recorded on t- two inch tape, no click, um, you know. And it's like it reminds me of just like, oh yeah, that's what like a band was—just a band sounding like an actual band and not like a computer recording. It was also that time we had determinations around two thousand two thousand and one. And we're talking about the time when, yeah, we had a big shift in the musical landscape. You know, we'd gone from the the rock glam stuff. We'd gone into the um, new metal phase. And everyone was kind of shifting a little bit into the cross-genre sounds of either metalcore or like the melodic death, I think, really is what I'd say, God forbid, we're, we're doing. Um, and it felt like the opportunity and door was open to bands like yourselves to do bigger tours and, you know, get out to more people. You know, your videos were getting shown on Headbangers Ball. Was this the start of a period where, God forbid, just had endless things they could do if they wanted to do it? No, that was... We didn't start getting... start. We didn't get played on Headbangers Ball until 2004 because it didn't exist in 2001. Really? Um, oh. Yeah, I mean, it was... I mean, really... The opportunities laid out for us on determination in 2001 was a really the reflection of the management company we're with called the Syndicate and the head guy over there, Dave Ciencio, the Rev. He was also managing Shadows Fall, mm. and you know they had they put out their album of One Blood on uh, Central Media a year before, so they kind of laid a, a blueprint of like, okay, this is what Shadows Fall did. We can do something like that. And then even though I think they, their record was just a bit more accessible, you know, because uh, they had some melodic singing and a little more kind of rock influence. And then they, he also was managing Thursday, who put out a record at the same year, 2001, full collapse. And, you know, they ended up selling, you know, the record's probably gold. Like they became mm-hmm. one of the biggest bands, that, you know, going at that, at that point. So it was, honestly, I don't think we had any idea what to expect. I never thought you could, I never even thought about doing a band as a job. Mm. I didn't think it was realistic. Like I didn't, but by the way, I didn't, but also didn't think about getting a real job either. Like I was like doing dumb jobs. I I just didn't think anything. I was just like, so I guess we're going on tour. I'm like, okay, I guess we're going on tour. This is (laughs) happening. Okay. I guess we're doing that. And so it's just these really small increments of like discovering like okay this is what touring is like and our first tours you know we were playing in front of 50 people 100 people you played a show you know in front of like three or four hundred people it's like holy shit this is a huge show we're doing right now 
and over the course of 2001, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. You know, we got to go out with uh, Opeth and Nevermore. We got to go out with Cradle of Filth and Nile. We got to go out with Six Feet Under and Lamb of God. Uh, the next year we went out, and this is all on the same record. We went out with Guar. We went out with Hatebreed, uh, Poison the Well. And so these, so over the course of that, ye- of that year and a half, it was like, okay. And you start learning from all the other bands you're touring with. You see a big band like Cradle Filth, and you're like, Okay, what are they doing that we're not doing? What is, what about or you you know you tour with a band, you know, you say why the, why do their songs work? Why are people really connecting to what they're doing? Why are they getting this reaction, we're getting this reaction? And that informs you. And and, and fortunately, in some ways when it comes to writing, it kind of changes you because then you start in your writing gets influenced to maybe get a better reaction live or connect with people in that environment and that really went so no a lot of those opportunities dude and during that time period we didn't fit in with anybody there was no metalcore scene really there was no new wave american heavy metal that didn't happen until 2003 so, so forever. Okay. the whole yeah. time so we would be touring with a cradle filth but we're not black metal we're touring with nile but we're not death metal we don't sound like that we're touring with nevermore we don't sound like nevermore we're touring with Hey, but we're not a hardcore band. So we did, we, ne- we just, you know, we would do these shows and never really fit in with what was going on. Um, and so we, we always felt like, you know, I don't know, just inadequate, you know, it, despite the fact that we did by the end of it, we felt sharp as a band that we felt that our time on the road had made us like, we're going to go out and we're going to rip your head off. And that and and just getting all those reps in made us a very very tight, formidable band by the by the end of it, you know. But 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 truth be told, we did feel like it didn't, we didn't get the uh, success we thought. We thought like, all right, we do the touring, people will connect to this record. We did some headline shows at the end of Termination with uh, Bleeding Through and Avenged Sevenfold mm-hmm. opening up for us, and I mean. We were playing in front of 50 people, 100 people. This is after we had toured for a year and a half. We thought we were going to, like, kill it. And the people didn't really connect with it, even though it sold a decent amount of records. I think we sold, like, 20,000 records in the States, something like that. Maybe, you know, a few thousand in the U.K. But it didn't really – something didn't really connect in terms of live audience. You know? Yeah, it's it's weird because, I mean, that, that... – Asks me back to you know when I had Byron on he when when we're t- starting to get into the next chapter of the band you know he was saying that something happened that he doesn't understand like you said you know the band had the music going forward like Gone Forever and uh, Treason and stuff you know but the opportunities were never quite given um, it was always kind of held back and I asked I him, disagree with, I disagree oh, with him there yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think by the time Gone Forever comes around, I think everything lined up. I think we mm-hmm. had, the, I think the songwriting had gotten to, you know, with the band had evolved to a place to write music that was, you know, determination and the way those songs were constructed was a uh, only going to connect to so many people. Mm-hmm. Gone Forever was done was done in a way that it was a little more accessible to a lot of people that like heavy music. Um, and so it came out at the right time. It had, we had, you know, Kyle Richardson mixed it. It had this, you know, Kyle Richardson, you know, my favorite, probably my favorite metal producer, you know, Carcass, Machine Head, Slipknot, 
you know, uh, you go, you go down the list, Kamira, Asley dying, you know? So we finally had that, what we considered to be the pro production. And then, you know, the album comes out, we're going out with machine, we're on tour with machine head. We get Ozfest. We're out there with Slipknot and Slayer. Um, so I think we did get a lot of opportunities and the album sold great. You know, we're actually doing headline shows finally. And guess what? People are actually, we're selling out some shows. People are showing up. People give a shit. So all the things we were, we had hoped would happen on determination were actually finally happening. What, what, to me, what, what happened in that time is we basically broke, we had a falling out with our manager at the end of 2004 2004 and that transition between and basically because of that our booking agent wanted to quit and it basically cut off the momentum Mm. the band had so we couldn't really do a full uh touring cycle like we wanted to we basically did machine head in the states ozfest machine head in europe did a headline tour in the spring and that was it on that album Whereas, you know, sometimes a band on a big record, they'll do their tour for two years, you know. Mm. But we decided to just write a new record, which is Constitution of Treason. And I think all in all, Constitution of Treason is the band's best record. I think top top to bottom. Um, it was the most focused record. We were the it was the first time ever we all got to not work a job while we wrote the record and recorded it. We could just focus on that. And it showed. Um, and we were very confident. Because of all every we we had toured with the finally we had toured with the biggest bands in the world. We went out with Slipknot. We went out with Slayer, and we were like, you know what? We can we can compete in this realm, you know. And so that's what went to that record. And but because of all the behind the scenes stuff with management, with all that, everything from that point was a struggle mm-hmm. because we could not find the right management which therefore we couldn't necessarily align the, the proper booking agents at the right time and so kind of when the band was peaking like i said and same thing constitution of treason sold very well for a band like us uh and it was like about getting to that next level but it kind of did right around the same as uh gone forever maybe a little more but all the things in and the problem is so the thing about the peak of a band is or anything when you've peaked you think you're going up so you don't you never know when your peak is because it hasn't you know you're in the middle of it so all that stuff behind the scenes and i think attitudes within the band that there were a lot of bad attitudes within the band that hurt those relationships behind the scenes that ultimately ended up hurting certain opportunities but i mean constitution came out we went you know, we did what we went toured with Meshuggah mm-hmm. and the Haunted with album came out. We went you to Europe with a, the Haunted. You came to Australia off that album, I think. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. But even that, I mean, I, I mean, the Australia tour was not that successful. No. You know, we, you know, no. um, you know uh, we went out with Anthrax. Mm-hmm. We, you know, and, and towards the end of that cycle, you know, some of the tours were probably not some of the stuff we wanted to do. You know, we wanted to get. Um, what was the tour? Actually, we did another tour with Hatebreed. You know, so it things just, it was the behind, I think the band had the work, had the music, you know, but there were certain people within the, behind the scenes that kind of saw, maybe thought the band didn't have 
what some of these other bands had or that maybe it wasn't the band to invest in. And so, you know, as that album wrapped up, you know, a lot of, you know, my brother became disillusioned with the band. Um, people, you know, you just start to change and, and, and evolve and you think you're going to, this is the thing, this is when the expectations game comes into it, where you think, Oh, we're going to be as big as this band. We're going to be, and then that doesn't start to happen. And then you start questioning where, where, where you're at, you know? So the, all the, the process that went into making the next record was really fraught, which it took three and a half years between Constitution of Treason and Earth's Blood. And that was bad on our end because we lost momentum, you know, because, and that's internal stuff. It's like you, the worst thing people, bands do is blame ulterior forces, Mm -hmm. but everything was us. We could have, we could have done, if we would have done the right thing on our end, I think things would have been better. You know. Well, I think an interesting thing you said, which some people forget, is that you do evolve and mature, especially when you'd been doing this, you know, kind of God forbid, since around 16. So um, it's natural that you're going to grow up as a person. And also at this stage, we're talking that the industry starting to change. You know, CDs are starting to not sell as much. You know, the, the financial mm-hmm. gain for a band is starting to slowly dwindle at this stage. So it, the internal pressure is probably immense to say the least. Well, well, not only that, you also have what happens to every, every artist who's had some success is the wave that you, that helped you get up starts to go down and a new wave comes in. So right around 2007, 2008, that's when deathcore starts mm-hmm. becoming a thing. That's when, you know, you get in 2010, that's when Gent starts becoming a thing. And you suddenly seem passe. You're not the cool band. You're not the new shiny toy. So, and all of that is a reflection of like, basically, I think the cream of the crop is what usually survives. And if you're smart and if you're business savvy and if you're also, it's all about the creativity, right? If the work is relevant then it will maintain. And you and you can see, you can see the bands that made it through that era well and who eventually fell off. And I think nine out of ten times the cream does rise to the crop, you know. And I'm really proud of Earth's Blood as an album. You know, I I think I think this might be our second most artistic album in in in, in many ways. But it was a difficult it was difficult to make. It was difficult to finish. And then right, we do our first tour and then Dallas quits. Mm. You know, and it become, and then in that whole cycle, and then that was also the end of our Central Media contract. So we basically got no support on that album. Um, you know, and so that and that was a difficult time. And it was like, and then I kind of had a meltdown, and you know, and it was a, <laughs> it was a tough time. You know, and that you know, it was a good chance the band maybe should have broken up after that, but you know, we still carried on and made another record. You know, but that's got to be. I mean really hard for you seeing your brother step out and then you keep trying to push it on and you obviously as you said had a bit of a meltdown and then did it feel like before equilibrium was done that the writing was on the wall for you with god forbid did you feel like you know i'm kind of pushing things that i can't keep pushing anymore you know dallas has stepped out you know things are going bad maybe it's time for me to get no myself. not not before it came out because I think everything, any kind of project like that, when you're in it, you're in it and you got to believe in it, you know? And, and so the whole process of basically my, 
the my meltdown I was talking about it was like 2009, the end of 2009 to 2010. I kind of had like a come to Jesus moment. I had to figure out my whole life, and I had a period where I thought about quitting the band, but then you know, kind of the end of 2011, I decided, you know, all right, let me refocus, finish this record, let's do this, let's you know, give it one more college try. And so from that period on, till the, when the record came out, I was really focused and committed. Um, and, and I think it's a really good album. I think, you know, Matt Wickland, other guitar player did a lot of writing, really kind of saved the band. I still think in hindsight, partially because he did so much writing, like it doesn't sound to me as much like God forbid, you know? Um, but that doesn't mean it's not really good. It's just less kind of, uh, you know, doesn't, it's not a signature to me of what, of, of what the band does, but listen, that record did pretty good considering that the band hadn't put a record out in a while. We had a member change. We had a label change. Um, and we were picking up steam. It was just, uh, you know, things we weren't making any money, you know, on, on tour. When I say any money, we were making very little money. We were not making enough money to live on. And my personal life was in shambles. You know, I was, we, we did a tour, uh, with shadows fall you know, one of our last tours, we ended up doing these back-to-back tours of Shadows Fall and like came home. I didn't have anywhere to stay. I was like sleeping in my car, mm. you know, like, and, and you have to have that moment where you're like, you know what? I don't think this is working. You know, you just can't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And, you know, and, you know, we tried, you know, and I was like, I need to go like live and exist and like something outside of this band and survive because this band isn't doing it. And when we tried to kind of reapproach doing some shows and doing some things, you know, there was just a giant communication breakdown and I felt disrespected and I felt unappreciated. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm sick of this. You know, and I kind of, and I, I quit and then the band broke up, you know, in 2013, you know, in the kind of summertime. Did you feel so, a bit lost? You know, when you, when you, you know, you, you, your life's No, I was ready. Shatters. Really? I was ready. Yeah. yeah, I was, I mean, the the feeling lost happened all before that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, and because by the time I'd broken, quit, I'd already kind of established myself with like, okay, I can make a living. I can kind of survive. Um, and, you know, and I had had my, all the work I had to go through to figure out who I was happened a, a year or two earlier. So by the time it happened, it was like. It was like a weight off my shoulders, you know, it's like taking off a, you know, a heavy hot coat, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, I, and honestly, I think that's how it was, was for everyone. I think it kind of was like a release valve. It allowed everyone to kind of go, go on with their lives, you know, and, and I think everyone for the most part is happier now than they were at the end of that band, you know, and yeah. I, and I always, and I'll be honest, I just thought there were more oppor- bigger opportunities out there for me. You know, the band had had its kind of heyday. Well, I think, you know, you look at the opportunities of open now, like, dude, they're fucking, the door, the door is fucking burst open now in every aspect, uh, podcasting, bad wolves. Yeah. But none of that, none of that existed then. And I went, mm. you know, basically within, you know, less than a year of quitting, Actually, I think I quit in like September, or November. I quit pretty late, uh, late in the year in 2013. I, you know, by by the end of the year or like 
I decided to move to LA. Um, and by the time I got to LA, I was broke. My car, my car, I, I, I drove cross country. My car broke down. I didn't have a car. I didn't have any job. I didn't have any prospects. Like I, I came out here on a hope and a prayer, um, and had no plan and just kind of like, and so I went back to square one, you know, kind of like having no money, but LA just felt like friends and opportunities everywhere. And everywhere I kind of went, I got a lot of respect and I got a lot of love when I got to LA. So it, and and I just kind of like, just like a shark. I just kept moving. Just let me try this thing. Let me try that thing. Let me do You want to do this? Yes. Just say yes. And keep, you know, kind of, and kind of keep, keep going. So I want to ask one last question on God forbid before we get into podcasting and bad wolves. And it's a question that I hate having to ask because it's a question that shouldn't be asked. But um, it's kind of an interesting thing that I remember buying. I think it was Gone Forever. Might have been around that time. You know, I used to buy magazines and everything. And I remember that for some reason the publication was using as a selling point that God forbid was the black metal band. Um, and I remember seeing that as the headline. It, was, it wasn't it was the main headline, but it was like the sub-headline, so it was still big. And it was like the black American heavy metal band. I was like, I don't really, I don't see us going, oh, here's the white hardcore band. You know, it, yeah. it felt disrespectful. And the question is, you know, was that something that you felt was A, could have been an advantage at the start, but then it started becoming a bit of a nuisance that people weren't respecting you for what you did, but more for what your color was. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, after the first record, I don't remember seeing too much stuff like that. So maybe that was just something that existed at the publication you saw. Um, listen, I think it's also it's a reflection of the time mm. and that, yeah, there just weren't a lot of bands that looked like us out there. Um and I would say it's it's always better to have a thing than have no thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's some bands that they got they don't have, really have a story. They don't have really anything that makes them stand out, kind of image wise or story wise. Um, and listen, I think it was because of the the time period, it was always going to be a thing. But I think ultimately, man, if if the music's good enough, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think in many ways we had to kind of knock down a few doors. So that it wasn't for other bands, it wasn't a thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like so, you know, I think, you know, Tosin Abasi, I don't think people really ask him about being black or that's a thing. I don't think people really ask Ali from Monuments with the dealers or Mike Terry from Volumes or whatever. I think a lot of these people, they just get to be musicians because it's not as novel as it used to be. Same thing with being a, even if you're a woman mm-hmm. in a band. I don't think that it's it's so common now. It's less of a novelty, so it it, it bears less being remarked on, you know. Um, so, you know, uh, listen, I heavy metal is a predominantly white male province, mm-hmm. and that just is what it is. And it's not a, and I don't think that's an indictment. I think is you know, you, there's as much you you could criticize black culture as much as saying. Hey, that's white music, and that's black. You know what I'm saying? That or criticizing other black people for listening to things that are different than what they're quote unquote supposed to. So, um, I think that's just it is was the same the same reason why, uh, you know, 
hockey is always going to be a predominantly white white male province or mm-hmm. i don't know beer festivals <laughs> i mean like <laughs> certain people like certain things but mm-hmm. it's not usually always because of a nefarious mm. reason i think you know so it's you know it's on metal itself to be as inclusive as possible and inclusive without kind of tokenizing you know kind of taking someone and say hey you're the I love, you know, like almost like if there's a, you know, if they like a black person in a band that that's like a gold star for them. Like, Mm. look at how nice I'm being. I don't know. There's that element of it. Um, You know, like I said, and hopefully that can become more pervasive where we don't really have to talk about it as much. But I mean, it's listen, I did a symposium on Loudwire featuring, you know, Derek from uh, Sepultura, from Sepultura. Mm. Mark Morton, AJ from Fire from the Gods, and Cami from Oceans of Slumber. Um, and the breeders were pissed that we even had the conversation. Why are you even talking about this? Metal is so inclusive. Why are you like they were angry? Do you 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 know you SJWs are always trying to say we're racist? It's like, dude, what are you guys talking about? We're <laughs> literally just having a conversation about people's personal experiences existing in this scene. Who I just because you you are telling me how inclusive you personally are, that has nothing to do with, you know, Derek Green's experience living his life. Only he knows what it's been like for him, you that, know? That's someone reacting like that, like they've got a guilty conscience, though. That's someone jumping, like, that's I don't even that know it's that. Like. I think what it is is we're in a culture war mm. right now where it's some, you know, certain part of the political spectrum believes the best way to deal with race is just not to talk about it um and you know and there's there because of you know black lives matter and all these protests they feel inundated with racial discussions and they feel like it's hurting and i listen part of that i get um everything should not be about our identity should not be the most important thing about everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it, you know, and the people they'll use this quote from Morgan Freeman where he's like, you want to get rid of racism? Stop talking about it. You know, I was like, I think that's great. It's like, you're Morgan Freeman. Everyone loves you. I mean, you're basically, you're rich, you're famous. You're basically God, Mm -hmm. you know, you're the voice of God. Um, not everyone is Morgan Freeman. So they don't get to not talk about it when they get pulled over or when they get, you know, harassed. So, and I think that's a very idealistic uh, version of things. Yes, it would be nice in some future where we don't have to talk about it. But apparently it's still a problem for some people. So until, I don't, so I don't, I don't know. Um, You know, I think discussions are okay. I don't, but as long as we're not like, you're racist, you're racist, like that whole thing I'm not into. You know. Well, at least, I mean, you know, I've got to say one thing. At least you are having the discussion. Um, in our country, one of the biggest problems is people act like there isn't a problem. It's not discussed about. Not even the media touches on it. So it, all the Australians listening, I'm quite ashamed with our discussions never existing. Um, our, our indigenous- but isn't it subjective, though, right? Like, well, I yeah. can't. It's like you see what you – if you choose not to see something, you'll probably ignore it. If mm. you want to see it everywhere, you'll mm. see it around every corner. Look at that. That that wall is racist. That fucking – the rain is racist, right? Like <laughs> I, I, so that's why I think it's all about 
just listening to people's individual experiences because I can't, it's not like something you can measure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's obviously, there's certain things we can measure. We can measure how many people are getting pulled over. We can measure how many people are getting shot. We can make, you know, there's certain things we can measure, but, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's just the tough times. And I think people are on edge mm. and they're defensive. Mm. Well, I'd say it's just the climate, unfortunately. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. And let's talk about, you know, before Bad Wolves came into its thing, you kind of started coming back into the metal eye, as a way of putting it, with podcasting, uh, with the X-Man podcast. Um, you know, that's your, that's your bread and butter. And you're now, you know, you're on my podcast. Hey, but you're on a lot of podcasts as well. How did you initially get into podcasting and why podcasting? I mean, I was a super fan. You know, I, I kind of fell in around 2010. Uh, but my best friend recommended I listen to Mark Maron's podcast. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, I think you really like this. And I, I just, you know, snorted it all up. And I was just, you know, enjoyed all that. And then discovered Rogan's podcast and, and loved the kind of culture around it. You know, the freedom of like, hey, we're talking about self-improvement and we're talking about psychedelics and we're talking about aliens. And and it just felt like uh, it was a new um, kind of, you know, frontier in terms of, 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 of a medium. And I was like, man, this is really cool. And so I was just like, I just was addicted. And I actually started a podcast. I actually did an interview to start a podcast in 2012. I did, I have an interview with Tim Lambesis that I just, I'm just sitting on. Um, so I did an interview, but then didn't, you know, it just didn't go anywhere. I was too busy or whatever. Um, but it was always in the back of my head, but I was kind of hesitant to do anything that felt, uh, redundant or derivative of stuff was out there in the marketplace. I mean, and so at that point, Jamie Joss had been doing it for a while and the idea came, I had an idea in my head. And then right around that time, Mike Mowry from outer loop management was starting a, uh, Jabberjaw mm-hmm. media. And he's like, you know, I was at the time I was guesting a lot on other people's podcasts. So I'd go on, I'd like a regular segment on metal sucks and I, you know, I was, I was writing a lot. So he's like, he's like, I think you'd be great at this. And I was like, yeah, well, I have this concept of like, you know, called the X-Men where I interview X-Members of bands. And I'm like, and he's like, and he, he, he didn't really love the idea. So I did a, a demo and my first episode and I sent it to him. And he's like, no, nah, I don't think it's going to work. It just seems kind of like musicians, a musician interviewing a musician. I think like that, there's a lot of that out there. So I just put it out on my own and it like blew up like day one you know, hit like the, you know, top 50, you know, like it was like number 20 or 30 on the music chart. So I was like, holy shit, people actually kind of care about this. Um, so I just kind of ran with it. He came back to me. I was like, you know what? I was wrong. <laughs> Come back on the network. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. And, and it, you know, and it, it's funny. There's been so many kind of like hiccups cause like I started it. And then I remember I had this one period where I took like maybe three or four weeks between an episode and like my numbers, like, like dropped out. I was like, holy shit, you gotta be like, Mm. on top of this you know so so you know i just took it really seriously and you know a lot of it for me was actually also just kind of like exercising my own demons Mm -hmm. like having dude like the podcast i did with byron on my show was helped me and byron kind of like reconnect 
and kind of bury the hatchet in some in some regards. Um, tell you know, just telling the story, you know, speaking to managers that the band worked with and kind of working my way through that, having these conversations with people that I always wanted to like satisfy my own itch, but also the other thing of just like trying to develop a skill at something else outside of uh, what I was doing, you know, which is, you know, and I, and I, I consider this to be broadcasting mm -hmm. to a certain degree. And I think there's a skill set now, literally everyone and their mother has a podcast. So whether you need a skill set to do it <laughs> might be, uh, you know, might be a little overly, you know, kind of self-congratulatory. Well, but, I, I know what you mean. Like I started this three years ago, and when I when I started it three years ago, there was, you know, a handful. Like there was, you know, people like yourself and Jaster and stuff. You know, there was the big ones, but there was none really. And then in the last year to a year and a half, every, every time I open social media, there's a new person within the industry or coming into the industry that's starting a new podcast, and you're just like. Yeah, you know, this took me. This took me a year to find, figure out how to edit it properly first. My yeah. God. Well, I, and I say with me, I, you know, now the pandemic basically everyone's stuck at home, so mm. that's why everyone's starting podcasts. But one, the the thing I've noticed more than anything, the hardest thing about doing a podcast is being consistent, especially mm. with touring. That was the the hardest time for me to do it when I was on the road. So it's allowed me to be really consistent, and I'm doing the best numbers I've ever done mm. right now, despite the fact that there's a bunch of other podcasts out there. So it's kind of created a lot of opportunities for me to focus the show, go after the types of interviews I want, I want to get, um, you know, just have a platform. So listen, we'll, we'll see where it goes, you know, but, but for me, it's like, I have these certain conversations I need to have mm. to kind of complete the story of this. You know, I'd love to do a different kind of show in the future. That's maybe a little more collaborative, mm -hmm. Um, or a little more topical, you know, uh, or or something that's just completely out of this realm of music. I would love to do that. Uh, so we'll kind of see how that goes. Yeah, I really, you know, without blowing smoke, I, I really think you'd be able to do a show that's along the Joe Rogan style where you're speaking to anyone from any kind of sector. And I really, you know, your your content and your way of discussion, I think, can easily go down that kind of path. So if you ever, you ever get down there, man, I think it's going to be a, a stellar show with great content. Well, it's listen. It's you got to remember the the kind of components of what makes something like that successful. A lot of it is just being fucking a famous person. Mm. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of just half it. I mean, Joe Rogan, even when he started his show, was already the guy from Fear Factory. Mm. Factor was already the guy from News Radio. Mm. Was you know was you know at that point was doing MMA stuff and was a successful comedian. Um, so a lot of that. You know, to have a really successful podcast and not be super famous beforehand is very rare. Mm. Um, and if you and if you can do that, you're a bona fide badass. You know, I look at people like uh, like Dan Carlin, mm. uh, who has hardcore history, who's you know probably I think pound for pound maybe the best person at this. And you know, he does stuff literally by himself. There's no other person. He's literally doing all the talking, but he's just so good at it. But he's just that good that he's become famous just from doing that and has one of the biggest podcasts. So, so, you know, we'll see where this medium goes. You know, I, I also don't want to get too like stuck, you know, because I feel like media changes so quickly and I don't want to just be like, okay, I'm going to do this just because I'm doing it and I've been doing it. And it's like, I constantly, like I just started uploading episodes to YouTube, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. which 
they, they probably should have been up there for years, but I just didn't think about it really. And, and so now I'm doing that. And because I, the hardest thing with podcasting is it's difficult to get new people. Mm. How do you find new people? But YouTube has a mechanism where it can recommend things and it can kind of spread, but there's no way within podcast apps for you to like kind of discover something new outside of like, Oh, that person who has a podcast guests on a show I like, you know? Yeah, it's very true. The algorithm is is pretty difficult. Um, hopefully one day we hear that Tim interview too, because I've had, I don't know about you, but I've had probably three interviews. Um, one particular with who, who I won't name, who was from a very famous band at the start of my podcasting. And I, I was actually getting abused for questions I was asking about his musical discovery. And I spent an hour on an interview that was a nightmare and I'm still holding on to it. And one day it might see the light, but you know, it's, it's have difficult. you shown them to anyone? Can they say they were objectively bad or yeah, my wife was actually, um, yeah, yeah. My wife, my wife was, my wife sent, my wife sent the band page a, a, um, abusive message telling them that they should learn how to treat people with respect and, Fear. um, yeah, my wife, my wife would go into war for me better than I would do myself. So. Luckily, I've, I've, I don't think I've had a bad episode. I think you have some people who are a little boring or maybe short. But I'll also look at like sometimes you have certain kinds of guests where you can literally say five words and they'll do all the talking. Mm. You, you don't even have to ask a question. They'll just kind of go. You just pull the pull the lever and they'll go. And some people you, you know, honestly, if if part of it, you know, people don't maybe they don't see it this way is that you got to be entertaining. Hmm. And, uh, so if you have a guest that maybe is not, so I'll nine out of 10 times, I'd much rather have an entertaining, interesting person than a famous person. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if someone else is not pulling their weight, then that means I have to provide that. So it's a, it's a wonderful, weird world. Um, now we're kind of already taking up extra time, but I want to touch on some bad walls before we wrap things up, because I'd be silly not to. Um, you know, it, it seems like you're now in something that is going places, not to say God forbid wasn't, I'm not saying that, but, you know, you're the band now, whether you like it or not, you're known for a zombie. I mean, that's quite, quite a thing. Um, you have two releases under your belt, and you seem to be a band that is creating discussion for people that like it or dislike it. Um, is, is this, is this something that's quite an exciting period for you creatively being in bad wolves? Um, it's tough, you know, because I'm not really the primary songwriter. Um, you know, and so it's a little tough to actually get my music in the band. So I've, I've had some influence on some stuff and the new record's not done, but it's kind of, it's yet to be said exactly mm. what 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 that'll be. So I'll be honest, it's a little frustrating, you know. So which is why I'm kind of working on you know other music. You know, I just wrote a song for like Lejean Witherspoon for his solo band from Seven Dust, and you know I'm uh, trying to relaunch my other band Vegas Nerve and kind of write some stuff for that. So and it's, listen, I don't need to be the lead writer for like any project, you know, it's, I don't like, it's my vision. You know, I don't really, I really actually do enjoy, uh, 
more I more enjoy a, a more collaborative ex- experience. It's just you know Bad Wolves. It's just it's just a big operation, so there's a lot of uh, pressure, you know, to like have hits or have certain outcomes, and you know, and I'm just more removed from that uh, decision making apparatus than in other situations I've been in and it kind of just is what it is. So, and that's, and that's honestly how it was when it started, you know, I joined the band after they pretty much had 10 songs done and I joined like right at the end and helped out with a handful of songs before the record came out, you know, and it was involved with another handful of songs on, on the last record. So it's, it's a, it's a different situation. You know, I'm more like the guitar player in the band than I'm like the visionary behind the band. So you're like a hired gun basically. Um, I mean, maybe on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to say what 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 my role is. But I'm, you know, you know, I'm I definitely. It's it's a weird thing because you, you know I think there are certain successes of the band that I really can't take credit for. Even though maybe some people will give me credit for. I was like, yeah, you know, I was you know, I'm I'm involved. But don't uh, don't break your arm. Pat me on the back. <laughs> well, also I think you know. We've mentioned about no news. Well, no, any media is good media in a way. It's also a band that, you know, unfortunately, y- you guys are always in the news because of things that other people in the band are saying. Um, and it's got to be quite an interesting thing. You know, you're navigating the world as it is, and then you're dealing with personalities that sometimes maybe, looking for a polite way of saying it, um, you don't see eye to eye to. Um, it's got to yeah. be an interesting challenge, but obviously rewarding because the band's blowing up listen the band is successful um i just think pandemic times i think is stressful on all relationships i think you're you know whether you're in a normal like regular relationship whether you're in a band i think i think because dude this period of time this is the most difficult and challenging period of time you and I have ever experienced in our lifetime. Um, and I imagine anyone else, maybe except for like the late 1960s or maybe World War II or like the Great Depression, you know, uh, things like that. That's what this is kind of like, except, you know, this is like, it, this is a marathon. Mm. You know, the amount of stamina, kind of mental and emotional stamina you need to kind of get through this without breaking down, without kind of getting wrapped up in some really you know i don't i don't even know how to put it just just uh i just think it's really easy to to succumb to some dark energy during this during this time um and so it's going to put stress stressors on something we you know we had an entire uh you know schedule of touring to the end of the year like i would what month is it november i'd probably be going on a european tour right now or just about to leave on one so and all that got erased, you know, and it, and it changed the uh, dynamic of what day-to-day business was like, you know. And so, and that, you know, so the band went to work on a new record, and we did a Patreon page, which has been really successful, and doing all these cover songs. Um, and I just think that's stressful. Hmm. And so, so yeah, I don't, um, I'm not eye to eye with everything that everyone in the band says, but ultimately, I can't do anything about that, hmm. you know. And and unfortunately. I do think people should have the ability to to speak their truth and 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 uh, 
talk about their opinions. I wouldn't want someone to, to stop my opinions and stop me from expressing myself. Um, and so you just have to figure out ways to coexist as respectfully as possible, you know, and it's, and it's just, it's, it's not, I'm not going to lie in here and say, say that it's easy. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, we'll kind of, this is a, uh, this entire pandemic is a, is kind of a war of attrition and <laughs> you just got to take it one day at a time, one month at a time. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll kind of see the other end of this in a few months. We'll see. Knock on wood. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it, it, let's just say that, you know, bad wolves, uh, the media uh, loves everything at the moment. The, the gossip pages are obsessed with it at the moment, um, but you can't they, blame them. They get the clicks, baby. Oh, yeah, it's all about the clickbait. Um, all right, Doc, we're going to finish on a light note, a bit of a silly note. Um, okay. Your guest 142, and you get the same as everyone else. Guest one had the same thing, okay? We're just going to mix right. it up. It's called Pick Your Poison. I give you an option of two. You pick your favorite of the two. You don't need to justify your answer, but if you feel like your answer needs to be justified as to why you picked it, you're open to discuss. Okay? Cool. Yeah. Pizza or burger? Burger. Oof, you hear that, guys? Straight off the bat. He's, I think he's I, need, I just want this carbs and cheese. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Uh, ribs or brisket? Ribs. Okay. Chicken or beef? Chicken. Okay. Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Chinese. We're American. We don't get the... You guys get probably much better China, uh, Indian food than we do. What about smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Crunchy. It's not even close. Uh, <laughs> smooth peanut butter people fucking... It's like... They just... they just You know what? It's like... Uh, do you guys have like Cool Ranch Doritos? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know they have like regular Doritos and Cool Ranch. Once you have Cool Ranch, you don't need regular Doritos. We're good. We've done the improvement. It's like crunchy. It's like once they came out crunchy, we don't need it. Everything's better crunchy, right? <laughs> I'll give you that. Um, okay. You want well, soggy cereal? No, you want crunchy cereal. Well, then the next one is a soft taco or a crunchy taco. That's funny because I actually do prefer soft tacos. See, so I talked all that shit. <laughs> but actually, I think that it's not about the consistency of it. Mm-hmm. It's that hard shell tacos seem to fall apart more and yeah. so like you lose they're just me- messier yeah. and harder to control so it's less about the texture and about the ability to control the food yeah you end up with more of the taco on the plate than you do anywhere else yeah i just yeah i just want to control it hmm. you know okay uh coffee or tea coffee come on man i ain't fucking around here, here. <laughs> okay what about a beer or a whiskey Probably yeah, beer. Okay. I'd probably go for go, go go for a beer. I mean, you know what whiskey does, man. It, like makes you crazy and mm. kills kills more brain cells. Um, you're gonna have a meal. Do you want to have it at home or out at a restaurant? Um, you know what's funny? I'm not really a foodie. Like I'm not someone who's like I have to go to this restaurant and that restaurant. Um, but you know, considering everything, it'd be nice to be able to like, go to a restaurant <laughs> sooner than later. <laughs> Because you know, all the places out here, you have to eat outside. You know, mm. what about uh, well, what about spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? Uh, beach, but I'm but I'm I, you know I'm not a big beach guy either. I'm not like a beach bum. Okay. Like I feel like too. I've like I've never been like skiing or snowboarding. But if I was, I'd just be one of the, the guy who wants to just be in the cabin, like getting getting <laughs> hammered by the fire while you guys are out there like you know tearing your ACLs. 
<laughs> um, what about, you know, I know you're a movie buff, so a new movie comes out. You're going to see it at the cinema or on the couch? I mean, I'm a movie theater junkie. Like, that's honestly, that's what I miss more than anything. More than touring, more yeah. than restaurants is the movie theater. I, I went to go see Tenet at the movie movies in uh, Nashville, and it was like I was giddy. Mm. It's I, I'm the same. Um, okay, cat or dog? Now I know I, I know what your answer should be here based off your it's Instagram. Do, it's dogs. Yeah, yeah. Cats cats are. I mean, by the way, cats are way easier. Like we we just got a dog. Like a dog. I'm like mm. I'm like I love my dog. But I'm like yo, I'm like we gonna give this guy away. I mean I'm it, it's fine. I mean, we can just we can just we don't need him. Like he's I love him, but I'm I can love him from afar. <laughs> but but uh but yeah, I'm not cats. I'm just like yeah. I don't like them touching me. I don't like cat hair touching me, and I don't like them rubbing on my my legs and stuff. And well, don't get more than one. We've got three dogs. So just imagine yours times again, couple. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing: I just hate work. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be doing stuff. I want like I'm selfish. All right? I want to <laughs> worry about my life. All right, I don't want to take care of you. <laughs> you know, you got to work on yourself to improve yourself. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. You know, but they won't do. You know. <laughs> okay, we have got a couple of movie ones, and then a couple of music ones, and then we're finished. So this one, I'll go off franchise. You're going to go the Terminator franchise or the Predator franchise? Whew. I mean, damn, that's that's tough. I, you know, I, there's more. Actually, let me think about it. That's, that's tough. I feel like I have to say Terminator just because I think Terminator 2 is, the, is better than any Predator movie. Mm-hmm. But there's really only two good Terminator movies. The last one actually isn't that bad. It's still it's, it, it. But there's there's some issues with it, but it's not that bad. Salvation is like okay, but not like I'm not mad at Salvation, but it has some issues. But Predator, you got Predator one and two, great. And I think Predators is underrated. But then do you count? But but the Predator is like the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. So, so yeah, gotta, we'll go with Terminator. Okay, uh, Rambo or Rocky? Damn, that's rough. I never said these were going to be easy. You know, see, it's another thing. I think First Blood is the best film. Mm. I think probably out of all of them. But like movie for movie, but like, damn, you know, I'd probably say Rocky. Okay. By a by a hair. All right. What yeah. about Tango and Cash or Cobra? Tango and Cash, and the reason and the reason why because Cobra really the the best part of Cobra is like the first half hour in the uh, in the convenience store and all of oh, that. Yeah, yeah, that's mm. just like perfect. Mm. And then like the like the end of Cobra, it gets a little like well, he's like going out on dates with her and mm. like getting like <laughs> milkshakes and stuff. It's like oh, I want to see all that. Like you know, um, Tangle and Cash is just great from top to bottom. And well, by the way, I don't. I just need to talk about Cobra. It's one of my favorite tropes of like the '80s. It really goes back to the '70s. It started in the '70s 
where the bad guys, their only motivation to do bad things is that they just crazy. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> like, they weren't robbing no banks. They didn't have, like, uh, you know, like a terrorist who has, like, a, you know, a list of demands. <laughs> they're just, like, they're just doing shit because they just crazy. Like, and I started, you know, if you watch, like, uh, you know, like Mad Max, it's like, mm-hmm. why, why are they so evil? We don't know. They're just crazy. <laughs> they're just crazy people who like doing crazy things, you know? I just, I, it's, it's the dumbest reason for people to do bad things, but in a weird way, I respect it. <laughs> I love my 80s movies, but I have to agree. Um, Bloodsport or Kickboxer? I mean, I think in a weird way, it's like there is no Kickboxer without Bloodsport. So you always have to give the, uh, the edge to, to Bloodsport. Plus, I mean, with no blood, I mean, Bloodsport is basically like, Street Fighter, you know, yeah. it's like the original Street Fighter is like Bloodsport, so it's very influential. Um, okay, so oh, last one before we get into the music ones South Park or Simpsons? South Park, I don't, I didn't, I haven't really haven't watched Simpsons since I was like 10 years old. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard it's still good. I heard it's still no, good. no, I'm sure, I'm sure it is, but South Park to me is its own thing, like, uh because of the social commentary aspect and that they'll there'll be an event that happens that week and they'll do an episode on it i think it's it's its own like you really can't compare anything to it and it's and the fact that they just will no one is safe Mm. they will make fun of everyone it's not you know oh we're for this people we're for this side like everyone is has the ability to get hammered Mm. um okay slayer or pantera Pantera. Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica Metallica's my favorite band. But okay. it's Megadeth is right it's like right there. What about Manson or Zombie? Well, I mean I'd have to give it I mean I think purely as an artist, Marilyn Manson, but in terms of catalog, if you include the white zombie catalog, then it's then like I mean the last two White Zombie records are like two of my favorite albums of all time. And I don't even, Manson, I don't even really listen to his albums. I more like hear songs. I'm like, that's a sick song. And even though actually the new Marilyn Manson is actually really good. Mm, it is. It, it, it's a kind of return to form style. Now this, this next one's usually, God forbid, is the first part. So it's usually God forbid and Darkest Hour. So I'm going to go. You ask this to other people? Well, 141 other guests, you're 142, so this You've is... You've all asked them this question? Yeah. All right. Do are, are a lot of them like, who? No, it's really been 50-50. Some people are just like, I fuck with Darkest Hour. Just, that's it. Darkest Hour is popular, man. They're, it is. They've, they've made, uh, honestly, in, over the long haul, they probably made a bigger impact than God forbid did. So I'm going to have to change it up because I'm not going to ask you your, band, your, your ex-band and another one. So I'm going to say Darkest Hour or... Shadows fall. Ooh. I probably listen to Darkest Hour more now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think like I'm trying to think because it's it's weird because like I probably like if you take yeah, I'd say Darkest Hour, because they're especially they're and that's really their later records, man. Like they just kept you know, because you had Undoing Ruin and then uh What's the right record after that? Uh, but but no, I, I have to say Darkest Hour, man, because they just kept evolving. I think their their self titled is super underrated. The new album is like just 
so fierce and so badass. So yeah, and I, you know, I played with him. So you know, if Shadow's Fall you know calls me for a reunion, you know, then then maybe I'll, I'll, I'll switch. Okay, you're playing a show. Do you want to see stage dives happening or mic grabs happening? I mean, stage dive probably neither. I'll be honest, man. It's like get off stage, man. That's how. <laughs> keep it safe right but probably stage dives but even that i'm like you know i don't i don't you know i almost don't want that happen at my show i I wouldn't happen at your show but just stay (laughs) off my stage right you know you're gonna step on my pedals break something and then the the mic grabs then you get the thing where you're on the mic and someone hits the mic and then breaks one of your teeth so you definitely don't want that yeah and the cable gets caught up or they sweat and spit all over it Nah, it's not really keep your ass in the crowd all right i'm old um, you're going to go to a show. Are you watching it from the pit or by the sound desk? Oh, I'm sound desk guy all day. I want to go where it sounds the best. Now, the second last one, one needs to go with the other. But let's imagine you can only do one and it stands on its own merits. And that's either tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life. Damn. Hmm. It's where it, you know it's damn. <laughs> you know, guys, I know for some people this is so easy, and it's like you know what I. No, it's actually I don't want it, to, no one gets this well, easy. It's, well, it's like if I never wrote you know wrote another record, I feel like t- touring because I just love the social aspect of it. I love being able to see the world, but I just don't want to. But I also don't want to tour like eight months out of the year. I just want to tour like when I want to, you know, so, but if I only had to do one, it'd probably be tour. Okay. Now the last one, you get your favorite album. Do you want it on CD, vinyl or on your phone? On my phone. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about, I don't ever want a physical anything ever again. (laughs) I think people forget the convenience of having it on your fucking phone. You can't get that vinyl, get in your car and go, I'll just fucking buy it. I bought this, this, Zach Sabbath. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you can only get it on physical. And I just uploaded it right to my computer. And it's just convenient. Yeah. Um, Doc, just first thing, um, thank you. Appreciate this. Um, a lot of love, a lot of respect uh, for you not only having the time, but taking the time. Um, easy to talk to, fun to talk to. Uh, bucket list for me. Um, thank has, you has been achieved uh, so you've got uh, Aussie in you know the land of Queensland um, riding on the moon today so thank you man I really appreciate this well, I, I appreciate it I had a great time and I'm you know glad it's nice to do an interview with someone with uh, you know that kind of understands the career you know sometimes you get you know all, all interviews are not created equal so it's nice to <laughs> have someone who's prepared and stuff and it's nice. Yeah, I always get the comment of, um, damn, you do your homework. Um, and it's not I do my homework, it's I'm just obsessed with the music. So um, I, I appreciate every moment. So thank you. Of course, of course. Jeremy, it's been a good one. All right, thanks, brother. You take care and have a great rest of your day. Likewise, brother. Bye-bye.
So that was my chat with Doc, formerly of God Forbid, currently of Bad Wolves. At the end there, you heard God Forbid's track Antihero, which is from their album Gone Forever. The second track was also a God Forbid track. That was War of Attrition, which is from their album Earth's Blood. And the final track you heard was from Bad Wolves. That one was called No Masters, and that's from their album Disobey. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the conversation or you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your chance. Get online, stream it, download it, consume the fuck out of this music. You're into physicals? Get onto eBay, get onto the websites, see if you can grab yourself a CD or a vinyl. And lastly, if you're into merch, help yourself out with a shirt, a hoodie or some moss shorts. Whatever you got to do, help out Doc, support these bands. I've got to take this moment to thank Doc again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. You're a fucking legend. You made this dude from Australia very fucking happy. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone, episode 142, done, dusted, all wrapped up. Locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So, If you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.